Welcome to the Stories or Soul Food podcast with your hosts, Brian Cole and best-selling author, N.D. Wilson. This audio is brought to you by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. We're going to talk today about some wisdom and literature. Wisdom and literature. Especially kids' books. Or if you want to put it concrete, Gandalf versus Dumbledore. Yeah, because we need to annoy more people. <laughs> or uh, we can do, can you remind me of the uh, one of my favorite characters from Outlaws? The your, Oh, Father Tiempo. Father Tiempo. Mm-hmm. There's that character you always get a little ways into a story when your main character runs out of answers. And right. And all of a sudden enters someone usually with gray hair, mystic abilities, some sensibilities, nice. and to offer some wisdom. And that's about where similarities end across. And I, w- I wanted to ask you the question, a wise character in fiction, perhaps start with what does it, what does it do? You have, you have a few. Yeah. In the Outlaws of Time, you have, you mentioned- uh, Manuelito and Father Tiempo. Yep. Both excellent. Was he the one who patched the snakes? Into yeah, Sam? Yeah. So, that is... Why? Why did you need Manuel Ito to do this for <laughs> Man, Manuel Ito. <laughs> Manuel Ito. Uh, and just so struggling. you know, why, why is... In the Outlaws of Time series, why does Manuel Ito do what he does? Why does he dress like he dressed? Why does that name exist? It's like, well, that was the name of the last free chieftain of the Navajo. And that's so it, his name and that's his physical description. Oh, his so, real name. Yeah. So, so he's real. Yeah, oh yeah. So okay. that's that character I borrow, like I'd love to do in fiction is steal historical characters and then give them some kind of access into the way things really are. Mm-hmm. You know, so whether it's in Ashtown with Captain John Smith and, you know, various Gilgamesh, various historical figures that crop up. I did that in Allah's of Time with Manuelito. Mm-hmm. And he is, you know, he loves to read. He's, you know, reading a newspaper in a top hat. Yeah. He's in exile in that. A top hat though? Why a top hat? Because that's what he wore. That's what the real one wore. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I just looked at photos of this guy and read descriptions of him and he was quite a salty character and one that has, I think, been forgotten, uh, unfortunately. And Chief Joseph, people are aware of, right? Mm -hmm. But there's there's a lot of characters in history that just go by the wayside and I love to either take characters from history that people think they know about and put new twists on them or find characters that they weren't aware of. Villains and heroes. Okay. And sages yeah. and people who have kind of the, the, you know, they hold that position of sage. Um, the position of sage is very important in almost, I would say, in any hero's journey. Yeah. Let alone, but especially in kids fiction. So Okay, so, but why? Because it feels to me that a kid, it's a bit of a deus ex machina, something that comes out right. of, out of the blue to help them out where they really need something right. rather than them figuring it out on their own. Right, exactly. That's why they need them. <laughs> so, I mean, you just touched it perfectly. So, why don't they, we all know you're an editor, I'm a writer, we know the protagonist is supposed to be active. Mm-hmm. You want an active protagonist who makes their choices, who moves through the whole story. Mm-hmm great, but they want to figure it out on their own. But is that how people really should be? And is that how people really are? Is that true? 
Uh, and the answer is no, it's not true. That is not the way God made the world. That's not the way we're supposed to function in life. Should we be gaining wisdom and learning from those who've gone before? Yes. Mm. You know, should we be listening to older heads, wiser heads? Yes. When those older heads, wiser heads happen to be fools, we should be ignoring them. But, you know, basically we should be Bereans, right? But, um, yeah. So hold in, on to what's in, true. Yeah. Search in, the scriptures. So if you're 12 and you're a hero in a story and some old sage is telling you something stupid, like sell out, <laughs> then you, you have to have the courage to go the other direction. And that does happen. But we, we are not atoms, A T O M. We live in history. We live, uh, in a generational and covenantal legacy, characters came before us. Other characters have lived prior to us, and a rich story taps into that. I think we we've referred to that door in uh, the Paths of the Dead mm-hmm. in Lord of the Rings, where there's this there's this whole other story. There's this skeleton sitting by a sealed stone door with a broken sword, and there's all the you know the hacking marks. His fingernails are broken uh, from clawing at it, and we just move on. Other people have lived other stories. And they have lived a lot of other stories. They have gone before us. And highlighting that fact and drawing attention to that fact and having your characters live in the light of that fact enriches the story. Mm-hmm. It provides depth. Deus Ex Machina as a device done badly cheapens the story. Okay. It, makes it, it makes it shallow. So used badly, you're in a situation and then, oh, lucky you. You know, a bird flew by and dropped the magic potion on you that you needed for this exact situation. And we don't know where that bird came from or why or where the potion came from or why, you know, just it just popped in. Oh, problem solved. Mm-hmm. When you solve problems with cheap miracles in fiction, it makes the entire story shallow. When you add sage characters who have insight into the situation and are, are orienting you to the world the way it actually is that enriches the story and that's not cheap because it's real yeah it's real it adds depth to the story and you should be interested in that you know as a character in your own life you should want that you should want to find those older heads who have seen moments in history like this one before they have happened older heads who have wisdom from mistakes from successes Um, and so when a when an old sage character shows up when a gandalf shows up when uh father tiempo shows up or when manuelito does what he does to Sam Miracle in the Alice of Time series. Mm-hmm. He is orienting the character to the world the way it truly is, which is what older heads should be doing yeah. in, the, in the real world. Right. Okay. So if gray hair is that, that crown of wisdom, that's an important part on the hero's journey if we're going Christopher Booker on this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. And at the same time, like in the Ashtown Burial series, I play around a lot with immortality and youth and the desire to not die and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the discovery that aging is actually a gift, you know, that to be mortal is, you know, that's a blessing to be immortal here, to be immortal in this flawed frame would be a curse. Mm-hmm. You know, like death would be, is it death is the only way to perfection. Yeah. If you, if you were okay. trapped, if you were stuck in this world and this life forever, immortal here, immortal, so are your temptations immortal. <laughs> so are yeah. your flaws. You will never be remade. There will be no resurrection for you because you will never have crossed the Jordan. Yeah, that idea of millennia of memories of sadness with no end is, or memories of failure would be terrible. It does seem to me though, if we can jump sideways quick, you hate the book Tuck Everlasting though, right? 
Uh, I don't know about hate. Oh, okay. I mean, That's I have a strong word. I have a weird relationship with it because I, I don't know that I've reread it since fifth grade, but it sure has stuck with me. But you just quoted the theme from it, I think, pretty yeah. well. So you, so it, yeah. it's more about the execution, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's true that nothing much happened in that. I was excited <laughs> when my daughter was reading it. I was like, this is a good one to read. Tuck Everlasting is a good one to read, a good one to think about, a good one to process. Because there's, there's wisdom in it. We don't want to die. Nobody wants to die. Mm -hmm. But a hero can't care about that. Mm. It's just, it just can't be a factor. So that's that fear of death is something a hero has to overcome, not something a hero should be at all powered by, which is, as a side note, one of my problems with the Hunger Games. If you are motivated purely by survival of yourself, and that's not to say that's the only motivation in the Hunger Games, but if survival, you personally surviving is the driving engine of why people care about the story and why the protagonist is making the choices they're making, that is terrible. We, we admire heroes the most who throw their care for their own lives away. Like people yeah. who start to make their choices not based on their own survival at all. Yeah. And that's really hard whenever even just the peer pressure aspect yeah. it feels like a tiny taste of the tiniest pressure that a human can exert on the other. It actually becomes quite strong when yeah. put into a large group. There's a few quotes from my books that have just made the rounds, right? Quotes that end up in day planners and, you know, quote books oh, and anthologies, quotes that end up on art, <laughs> you know, quotes that end up being used in momentous occasions, some that are kind of quite solemn, you know, and I'm surprised to see it show up because it's a quote from uh, Frank the Fat Fairy and Dandelion Fire. You know, it's like in here, it's being used by a state official at the funeral of a bunch of uh, murdered officers or, or something like that. Oh, no way. And John Lewis's funeral, things, things like that. You know, like there's different quotes that show up. In which, different, which quote? Or that, one's, that one, I don't remember it verbatim, but it's uh, from Frank Fat Fairy and Dandelion Fire in the 100 Coverage Trilogy. Uh, when he says that um, ba basically the, the whole point is that a hero stands against evil. I think the, let's see if I, get, if I get to the exact words, I think I can remember it. Sometimes standing against evil is more important than defeating it. Um, okay. A hero stands not because they think they will survive but because it's right to do so. Mm. It's like that's your own survival is factored out yeah. of the equation. And so just, just like that's true in the real world, we admire it in fiction. Our characters cannot be you know, motivated that way. And that's one of the things that sager heads, older heads get to say to young characters that then kind of help them recalibrate and make their own, you know, make their own decisions. Yeah. Okay. So the idea of the sage, the wise person, I guess Katniss has that uh, drunken, the drunken dude, mm -hmm. uh, Hamish, whatever yep. his name is. And you see them everywhere. I mean, Harry Potter's got Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Whom he never listens to. <laughs> right. Yeah. What do you think of Dumbledore or Hamish if you prefer? I prefer, I do prefer Dumbledore, but um, I feel like Dumbledore is an extremely underused and bit sad resource. <laughs> it's the dictionary you never opened. Yeah, exactly. It's this. If you have such a great relationship with such a great wizard who's seen everything, why are you not cultivating that relationship? And I mean, far right. more frequently. Right. <laughs> with the, and there's just not enough reason for why when he's gone, when he's off being busy, like, like Tolkien takes Gandalf away. Mm -hmm. I get it. You got to have Harry have his own adventure. Mm -hmm. But that relationship is absurd to me. 
Like, yeah. Why, why, why do you ever lie to that guy? Why does that guy ever lie to you? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What is it? He just withholds, you know, there's this key pieces yeah, of information. <laughs> exactly. And she does craft him well enough that we all love him. He's great. Dumbledore's great. But that is one of the oddest relationships in successful literature that I know is Harry and Dumbledore. Is it because we all want it to be more than it is? Or it what? should be. It's because it, it should and would be. So we're mm. supplying a lot of our, our own knowledge about how life works into that. Do you think we're reading a fuller picture than there is in the actual text? So if you take a kid, and we already talked about the trifecta of wish fulfillment with him. And I think we had yeah. some people who at least who disagreed with that, even though they're wrong. Um, <laughs> Do we need to go deeper into that? I don't, <laughs> no, well, I, mean, not, I think it's yeah. pretty clear. He's famous. He's super talented and he's rich. While also getting to be downtrodden, he's also a victim. But yeah, it's a fantasy world, but take, a, take an orphan, take a boy with no father, a boy with no relationship to a father, and then upend everything he knows about the world. Mm-hmm. Like just smash it all, throw him into total chaos, this wildly unknown world, and give him one father figure who is wise and kind. And very close to all knowing. <laughs> yeah. Wise, kind, super talented, and cares for him deeply. Yeah, you're like right. that, And he's never there. He never goes to that, talk to him. Yeah. yeah. And that vacuum, the vacuum of fatherhood that Harry has, I mean, that would, he would latch onto Dumbledore so hard. Well, Rowling, of course, fills it with Hagrid. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is great. I mean, the relationship's fun and friendly, mm-hmm. but that's not paternal. Right. Um, well, because... I think back to our earlier thing, I'm sure she realized that if she gets Dumbledore in there, too many problems get solved. Yeah, but there's easy ways around that. Like you have to remember that you're the author. And so you can create limitations where you need to. You can build walls and you can build limits and it's not more more Dumbledore absences or other things. Isolation. More limitations. You know, it's like more more limitations or even him working at stuff and failing, you know. Which, we see, which we see Dumbledore, which Dumbledore. we see later. We see, right. we see that does happen, but there's ways to navigate that relationship. Um, and I think what it was is that she sets it up and she sells it successfully as a profound relationship. But if somebody has a profound relationship, they go back and they go back and they go back. There's a movie called Finding Forrester like this where, hmm. you know, a black kid in the city who's good at basketball, who loves to write. He's a talented writer and they're weird reclusive sean conrad character in the apartment overlooking you know the playground and the way in which he goes back and back and back and that crotchety old man pushes him away and pushes him away like it's very it's very much a real story like once that relationship starts once that magnetism's there and you have fatherhood arrives when fatherhood kind of shows up in the scene it's needed and it starts to step into that void so for harry to imagine him not going back and back and back to Dumbledore is, is kind of hard for me to get my head around. <laughs> so yeah, yeah he's I, busy. I, okay. He's more right. absences, more tasks, but whenever he was available, whenever Dumbledore was available and Harry had a free minute, <laughs> that, he would have been up those stairs. He would have been up those stairs. I'm trying to think now, I think it's gotta be about one per book, one key meeting per book that Harry has with him, which, you know, over 700 pages is not a lot. Right. And it's, and I, you know, it's been a while since I've read them. So I can remember aspects of that relationship that are, that are great. You know, it's like that's, but yeah. there's, but it is an emotional relationship and it's fueled by his father hunger. And so it would be a lot more powerful than that. For Sam Miracle, Father Tiempo 
and his relationship with Father Tiempo, it's not the same thing. It's not that. Yeah. Like, you know, Father Tiempo is, is to exist on a different plane. Uh, he's not stepping in as a, a father. He's stepping in far more as a prophet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Manuelito is, is the guy who sets him sailing. You know, he's that inciting incident of saving Sam Miracle's arms and the way he mm-hmm. saves his arms and then sends him on his way. Mm-hmm. So he's has a creative, he, he's this creator in Sam Miracle's life and then Sam moves on working with those tools. So it's not, it's not the adoptive son father relationship that happens with a lot of sages. So I keep going, going back to the, what you said about that fatherhood aspect. Obviously there are some female sages. Oh yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking of in Luke, uh, the prophetess. No, not, is that her name? The prophetess is not her name. That's no. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call her? Uh, of the tribe of Asher, she and um, Simeon. But the, the thought is, it does seem like this, there's an aspect of the sage which is really unfriendly and does not explain themselves. And yeah. I'm wondering if that's tied to the fatherliness of the sage rather than, so I'm thinking of even going back to Greek myths where, yeah. you know, or where you've grabbed from the Oracle who gives yeah. you a message, a word, a word that, you're, that you can interpret to be the right thing or the wrong thing. You know, there's that, there's, yeah. there seems to be a two-edged as- aspect to sages that make them so intriguing in story. Part of it is that when you're writing a character who does not have any emotional need for a connection with this. Oh, you know, okay. You know, so it doesn't have any emotional need for a connection with this person on their journey. If you had a super needy sage. <laughs> okay. That'd be really weird. <laughs> yes, it would. They, would. they would immediately no longer be sage you would lose all respect for them. But if they have no need of this relationship with you at all, and you're trying to get answers from them, they're just moving you along. You know, like this is... Okay. And they're also, um, on, a, on a more meta level, they're just declining to be that Deus Ex Machina. You know, they're just, mm-hmm. they're withholding, they're withholding more. I think many people have felt that frustration. So I'm I just saying, why about, didn't you explain it? Gandalf, why didn't you explain the whole thing? People's part, okay, so think about the burning bush, right? <laughs> How much explanation happens? It's like there's a b- bit of an argument. Could you explain this I am thing a little more maybe? Right. Could you get into this? You look at the dark sayings of Christ. You know, mm-hmm. it's like this is the, the before Abraham eat my was. Flesh, I, yeah, eat my, eat my flesh, flesh. Drink my blood. Yeah, yeah, it's like this is and then before Abraham was I am and, and he says plenty of things and we see in scripture him tell people things in parables so they would not understand. You know, I've heard a lot, plenty of authors say, see, Christ talked in parables. We should too, because it's the best way to reach people. It's like, well, it can be. And other times you're telling them parables uh, so they will not understand, which is what Christ did. So dark sayings, what does that do? Well, it forces people to grow. It, you, it forces the, the people you're speaking to, to reach, to aspire, to struggle to comprehend and understand, to activate their intelligence and their own agency to a higher level. So a sage, somebody who's truly wise is somebody who does not overexplain. You know, yeah, somebody who's, yeah. yeah, they know, they know that in order, in order for this to work, in order for this wisdom to work in your life, you have to reach for it. You have to take ownership for it. You have to sweat for it a little bit, suffer for it. So they don't just spoon feed you. Right. And Be- then expect you to fully comprehend it and make it your own. Because a good teacher never does that either. No, you, you have to make do it reach on your own, or yeah. it didn't happen. So make him make him reach for it. But there's this 
father figure, there's a prophet figure, there's minister, there's ministerial aspects to sage characters, paternal aspects, uh, sometimes divine aspects, angelic. So there's angels, there's prophets, there's fathers. There's a lot of different versions of mothers. Yeah. Crazy ants. <laughs> and I did look it up. It is indeed Anna. Okay. The, a prophetess Anna. of the tribe of Asher or however yeah. they translate that. Anyway, the sages, sage characters in, in fiction, Dumbledore, Gandalf being the big obvious ones, I have used a lot of different ones. And so for, for me and like the Ashton Burial series, I've enjoyed removing them, teasing them, having the characters yearn for sage characters and never quite get the right one. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so they have early contact with uh, Billy Bones, mm -hmm. uh, and then Horace Lonnie, this lawyer. It's like, are you going to explain everything? Like, are you right. going to explain everything? Who's going to explain everything? Right. Both somewhat unreliable. <laughs> yeah. Then finally, we meet with with you have Nolan, this you know immortal thief, who's yeah. just annoyed and frustrated, Certain, impatient. Yeah, ethical quandaries as well with Nolan, yeah. I guess. And he suffers no fools. So yeah. He's not going to explain everything to you. He'll give you a little bit. And then you have Rupert Greaves. And when we hit Rupert Greaves, you hit father figure, mentor, trainer, sage. He's a sage character, but he's younger than a sage. Yeah. And a very cool jacket. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> very cool dude. And super busy. Right. So he's, his responsibilities are enormous. And so he's always away. And so you're always, the characters are always looking for more. They're always looking for more contact, more So that's how you've solved the Dumbledore problem for Cyrus and Antigone who are missing their own parents yeah. and have met someone who perfectly fulfills that. Yeah. But if Rupert was there all the time, it would almost, well, it would change the story quite a bit. Yeah, it would. But the other thing is he's, um, I've made him younger and I made him not retired. He's not in retirement. He's, yeah. You know, he's a battlefield general functionally. He's active. Right. He's very, very, very active. Right. And so he's making time at a great sacrifice to himself for these kids. Yeah. Which makes those minutes more valuable. Mm -hmm. But he's never, never given you the full explanation because you have to grow. But also, he just doesn't have that kind of time. When you're reading, you get into this mode. Oh, yeah, of course, Antigone and Cyrus are the most important people in the entire world. And that's <laughs> just not, not true. Yeah. So then you also have... It enables you to play with things like latching onto the wrong mentors, latching onto the wrong sages. Mm -hmm. uh, Big Ben Sterling, you know, this uh, nice, this nice cook in the kitchen is, he's fed me and he's, he's being kind um, and funny, but he'll, you know, he'll betray me. Yeah. So that kind of, I mean, I, I really like Ashtown a lot. Um, I'm active in Ashtown right now, but it's one of the things I enjoyed the most about it was playing with those adult characters. And having, and then Captain John Smith shows up. Like you have these older, these older characters who are, they don't fill the role of Gandalf. They don't fill the role of Sage. They're far more Faramirs and Aragorns than they are Gandalf. But they collectively do accomplish that. I also tend to make the oldest people look the youngest. You know, I play around with immortals who are, you know, sort of like smooth skinned children. Yeah. Who've been around forever. And right. that kind of thing. I, I really... There's a lot of different things I've been able to play with in Ashdown that I enjoy. So you've age from your nonfiction, age is a, a big theme. Yeah. Um, I guess mortality is something never gets too far from your books. The present as we as yeah. we know, the presence of death is something that colors everything. everything. Mortality, the I mean, it's just another uh, aspect of time. You know, the passage of time, the fact that moments just go away. Every day dies, every day goes away. And what you did in that day is written in concrete forever. Mm-hmm. Like 
there yeah. it is. And then another one comes and you have a limited number of them. So there's a big clock on the wall and it's counting down and you don't know how many are still left, but you're, you know, it's a scarce resource, <laughs> right? But you don't know how scarce and, and we waste so many of them. So many of those days just flow by. So that, that's both a sobering thing and an inspiring thing. And yeah, I think uh, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, obviously, when you put it that way, that the slow ticking down of your opportunities to plant seeds and harvest, uh, it seems, seems a bit depressing, but I guess that's also freeing and that we're able to do what we have with the talents we are given. And that if you're given a talent, you can spend it or not. And it's almost, yeah. you don't wish for what you don't have, I guess. But you do. Basically, I'm saying, Nate, make that sound less depressing. Yeah. I mean, it, that's part of what I do in Ashdown and it's part of the point of death by living is, yeah, it's it, it can be depressing, but it's also not at all. So, knowing that you have been given seeds that you're going to plant in the field and you're like, but, but it's not an unlimited bag of seeds. Yeah, that's silly. Why, yeah, it's like, yeah, I've been given however many million heartbeats, but why haven't I been given a billion heartbeats? <laughs> I'm going to be given many, many thousands of days on this, on this earth. But why haven't I been given 100,000 days? I need more days. Right. We're, we're just very selfish. Yep. And so, you, we have to remember that the ultimate sage who came, Christ, was actually quite young and died young. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the perfect picture of how we should, the kind of stories we should admire and the kind of way we should want to live our lives. Mm -hmm. And old age is a blessing, but old age could also be a curse. Yeah. So... Uh, if God the Father can send his only son to die young, and that's a victory. Like, okay, that's, you know, if all of our children died at 33, but left a mark at that size, like, is that a tragic life? <laughs> like, right, of they, course not. If they reached apostolic levels of influence and impact for the gospel, like, are we sad? No, we're not sad. Um, and yet, the flesh immediately is like, but. <laughs> like, but I don't uh, like that. 33 years. That's pretty young. I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> I, I want, I want how many? Yeah. Um, so trying to see time as a blessing, the urgency of time is the only reason why we ever get anything done at all. Right. To see mortality as like both a curse and a blessing because mortality is the only way to deal with the fall. To be cursed with death because now we're flawed. Now we're fundamentally flawed. Like, okay, that's both a punishment, but also a promise of an end. You know, it's like, this is, you will be fundamentally flawed and forever. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, garbage. Um, so, so we're, when we're teaching kids how to view life that way, it does seem to come down to story so that they yeah. realize what, what this can do. Yeah. You reach the end of the book. Like there, there is an end. There's a finite number of pages for every, each of us. Every single person listening to this podcast has a death scene and it is going to be cinematic and it's something an author could write. It's dramatic. It's every birth and every death, always dramatic, mm -hmm. like and an ending to a life, a final page. Every one of us has one and we don't know what that scene is and we're all living our way toward it right now at the same rate of speed. Incidentally, all of us are living our way toward it. Yeah. What will we do with these pages? What do we do with the pages we're given now? Is it, should that paralyze us? Should we say, oh, garbage, I only have this many years. I guess I should sit here sad. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Like, no, you need to like go get a harvest, go bear fruit as a character. So my characters don't sit down and cry that there's only, you know, 300 pages to their novel. 
like they have to go conquer, go overcome, right? Um, go become the the people they're supposed to be. So sage sage characters are those glimpses of wisdom, and they should be glimpses of wisdom. They're also one of the most dramatic exposures of authorial failure that can show up because a sage character is only as wise as the author is. Mm. And so there's a lot of things you can fake when you're writing. You can fake athleticism. You know, you can fake the ability to fly an airplane. But when a character shows up with wisdom, there's no fake in it. So it's that character here's, either here's, has it or they to don't. You, hey Mitch, that's what I <laughs> that's what I feel like. I feel like Katniss should have got some much more a little more out of that. A little more out of that relationship <laughs> rather than some advice on how to work the crowds. Yeah, right. But it's, and also for all of us who are all characters and stories, we should all be thinking, man, these people around me who are a scarce resource because they have fewer days left than I have, what do they have? What wisdom do they have? I sat down with both my grandfathers. I'm really grateful I was able to do this and a camera and just asked questions, story after story after story. And I've got, I haven't even watched through all the tapes, but I've, I've got them. Yeah, you know, mm. I've got them. And I, because I still remember all the conversations, but at some point when I don't, you know, when I am myself, if I live to be a gray head, if I am myself old, I can pull that out and there's going to be something pretty awesome to, you know, to watch. But just remember who you are in the lives of your children too, that you are that gray head already. Even if you're young, you're, you're yeah. old to them. Uh, then look up at people who've gone before and what they've learned. Uh, maybe the theme of this episode should be Every single cliche an old person's ever told you is absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> Time flies. There, it'll be a blink before they're all grown up. Yeah. You'll look back on these days. You'll miss these days, says some old woman to you when you've got your hands full of toddlers and you're right. feeling like this is the worst moment of your life in the park and everything's going yeah. wrong. And some old woman says, you'll miss this. And you're like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> it's like, nope, you will. Life you will. only gets busier. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. So, listen to the gray heads listen to them. Normally we give the reading recommend, but I feel like that should be our recommend. <laughs> there we go. Go talk. read their life stories. Yeah. So go talk to a sage. Yeah. Find a sage, talk to them, listen up, pay attention, and then become one yourself in the lives of people behind you. Boom. There we go. Done. That's the end. We're out. Yep. See you soon. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Stories or Soul Food podcast. Before you go, I want to recommend to you a book from Canon Press titled Wordsmithy by Douglas Wilson. Wordsmithy is for writers of every sort, for experienced veterans or still just hoping, or somewhere in between. This book exhorts writers to explore the world, to read incessantly, to love mechanical helps, to be fine with being lousy for a while, to learn languages, and to keep a commonplace book. If you enjoy stories or soul food, then this book is for you. Go get Wordsmithy by Douglas Wilson today at canonpress.com. <laughs>